0: Hello, I'm Jane Daly, and this is my podcast for people who know. As an independent thought leader, coach, and work life advocate, I'm curious about people who are accelerating their work and life. And whilst finding their own balance, they have also found time to inspire others to do the same. My interest in Kirsten started when I discovered her work through a trusted friend. Since that time, I've been fascinated by Kirsten's work, her advice and her wonderful book. Kirsten, I'm absolutely delighted to welcome you today.
1: Thank you. It's really lovely to be here, Jane. Thanks for inviting me.
0: And Kirsten, for our listeners, tell us what you're up to at the moment. Well, I'm sitting
1: in um, a treatment room that my husband and I both work from at home, in our home. I've taken the morning off to have this lovely chat with you, which I've been really looking forward to. And then this afternoon, I'm back to -to one-to-one nutrition consultations. So I'm doing all of those via Zoom and phone at the moment. I've got a couple of those. but it's fairly easy today. I had a long day yesterday. I ran a workshop via Zoom last night, so I had a late finish yesterday. So today's fairly gentle. Um, It's raining outside, so I may not get my daily walk in today, so I may get on the exercise bike instead, or I may just have a day off. <laughs> Absolutely. That's my day today. The
0: world is your oyster today, as, you, as I'm hearing you say. You can do... Um, mm-hmm. And that's one of the benefits, isn't it, of being able to, you know, work for yourself. There's peaks and troughs, isn't there? There's crazy times, but there's also other times where you can then get a bit of free space.
1: Absolutely. And if I notice that things have been really hectic and busy for a while, I will put that in my diary. I'll put an extra day or half day off in my diary to compensate for that. So I'm really lucky to be able to do that.
0: Definitely. So, shall we step into the time machine?
1: Yes. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Wonderful. So, um, let's let's get into this time machine and tell me how it feels for you.
1: Okay. So, I've been thinking about this. My time machine is a bit like the TARDIS. So, it sounds like the TARDIS. Um, it's got a. A more cosy interior design. I'm thinking sofas to relax in whilst we're travelling through time, that kind of thing. So a kind of a cosy version of the TARDIS. I'm obviously wearing a long stripy Tom Baker scarf. That's why I'm at now.
0: Nice. I like it. And you're looking good there. Definitely. Definitely. <laughs> I need to get myself one of those.
1: Yeah, big hat as well.
0: Definitely. Uh, uh, you're looking good. So we're uh, putting me to shame in this time machine. So I'm going to start the clock warm this time machine up, and I'm going to send us back to our first destination of 1998. Let me set the scene for what it's like when we arrive here in 1998, which was a very interesting time. So um, what was going on in the world? Well, in the UK, a major piece of history took place. The Good Friday Agreement was signed, enabling peace to reign in Northern Ireland. So what a great event that brought to the world. What a great thing that that, that went on then. Outside of the UK, there was the 80 year anniversary of a horrific event that took place in Russia with the Nicholas II and his family. So, you know, a real poignant point for Russian history there. And in the US, President Clinton was impeached. So lots of Interesting stuff going on across the world. Um, In technology, um, Google was founded and Microsoft released Windows 98. And Titanic was the film of the moment, winning 11 Oscars. And of course, bringing Celine Dion fame with that song, My Heart Will Go On. Kirsten, what's happening for you in 1998?
1: Well, it was an incredibly eventful year for me as well. So um, some of the major highlights of 1998 for me, um, I was working um, for an organisation called Adrenal- well, called the Brighton Fringe Festival. And when I say working, it was a, um, I, I was volunteering, but I was running a department. I'd started off as a press officer in those days, we used fax machines rather than email. Um, <laughs> but by now I was running an event, an annual event on Brighton Seafront called Adrenaline, um, which brought together skateboarders and BMXers and inline skaters and it was uh, extreme sports. Um, a skater called Pasty would get a team together each year. I would kind of scavenge a load of wood from somewhere and he'd build us some ramps from scratch. Um, it was a very DIY homegrown affair. We had no budget. Um, that was also 98. So I think that was the second or third year I'd run the event. Uh, it was also the, the year I met my husband, Andy, and he just remembers me running around frantically with a clipboard all of the time. Um, and I was burning the candle at both ends a lot as well. I had quite a buzzing, social life (laughs) it was quite Brighton was a really wonderful place to be at that time so I was really work hard play hard it was so rewarding immensely rewarding, really exciting. I was very proud to be part of the Brighton Fringe Festival, which was originally set up um, by Sam Bell, as she was at the time, and Kath Perry, two incredible women who are still good friends now. And what they did was nothing short of spectacular and miraculous. Also with with Jeff Hemings, who was very much in there at the centre of all of that. So um, that was amazing, but it was also draining, exhausting. I wasn't getting paid for it. (laughs) It was three full-time jobs at once with no pay. And it was someone else's passion. It wasn't my passion. Um, So it was something that I was really proud and excited to be part of, but also looking for an escape route. My escape route came from a strange angle. It came in the form of a cancer diagnosis. And I remember very clearly I was um, painting the landing railings at the time in a house on Hampton Road we were renting. And I got the call from my consultant to say, we've, we've done the biopsy, we've got the results, it's cancer, you need to come in tomorrow or the next day or something like that. And it was a very strange mixture of absolute terror and relief, because now it meant that I had a good enough excuse to actually change what I was doing. Um, So that was, yeah, I could just stop now. It was obviously a really difficult time. I was, what, 28? So, and didn't have the skills to really (laughs) deal with it. And I was shipped up to Guy's Hospital in London and I didn't know very many people in London. I felt very much on my own up there, although support came from some really unexpected and really wonderful places. So a friend of a friend, who I'd met a few times and again she's now such a wonderful lovely friend of mine she's called Anna Strickland she lived in London she was 21 at the time and would um and on crutches at the time as well and she would hobble in from the other end of London I later found out she had to walk through a park get on a bus and then get on a train and she would bring me home cooked hot food don't know how she kept it hot all of that way on crutches bring me this hot food in hospital, because I ended up being in there for about three weeks, and sit on the end of the bed and take the mickey out of me, so I didn't take myself too seriously whilst this was all going on. She was a breath of fresh air. If any one of you out there knows Anna, you'll know how um, throughout her life since, every time I speak to her, see what she's up to, I'm blown away by what she's doing. She's kind of helping with projects to support um, people being trafficked or she's um, supporting projects in, in London or she's she's uh, just amazing. So um, she really showed her true colours there and that was wonderful. And Andy, who I'd only just met, we're now married, but at the time, very blossoming relationship. You can imagine what an impact cancer diagnosis has on that. So I said, you know, you don't have to stick around. We barely know each other. But he did. And he even came up and stayed at Anna's who he didn't know um, so that he could come and visit. Um, And equally, you know, sat on my bed and took the mickey out of me and made me laugh, which was just brilliant. When I was eventually discharged back down to Brighton, I was still incapacitated for a long, long time. And Sam, who had one of the Brighton Fringe Festival... Women, amazing women. she we were sharing a house at a time, and she was she was incredible support. whilst I was in hospital as well, this amazing lovely lady, Caroline, um, who I don't see much of these days, but she bought me a huge box of food from Infinity foods in Brighton, which is a health food co-op. So there was this thing around food that was buzzing around me that I knew I had to pay attention to the hospital food was so atrocious. Um, I actually called up the chef and had a chat with him or the K. Andrew K.J. and he called up to see me. Um, I don't know how he got the strength. I could, you know, barely lift an eyelid. I didn't have the strength to kind of, I don't know, read a book from cover to cover or anything like that. But I had the strength to, to call him up and say, look, I can't eat this food. And he was popping to the supermarket on his way into work every morning to buy me a bag of salad. So that was it. I had this niggle in my head about food. And that really led me eventually to studying in nutrition. It took a couple of years. When I came out of hospital, I was really depressed for a while. I was very lost. As I said, I didn't really have the skills to deal with it. Um, These days, there's a lot of support for people with cancer. I know because I specialize in that area. I work in that area a lot it's still not any easier for, but the support network that's out there if you can tap into it is wonderful I've worked quite closely with an organization called Yes to Life that supports people with cancer diagnosis there's loads out there within the NHS outside of the NHS um, it's just incredible when I got diagnosed nada <laughs> nothing at all so I was really lost I, I didn't have much support apart from well-meaning friends who but who didn't really know how to support me probably a bit of PTSD from from the surgery the shock of the diagnosis Um, I got a bit of um acupuncture and counselling on the NHS I think um hypnotherapy which was useful but very small so I had, to, I had to really find my way out of this. And Andy, again, he was, this, he was really the person that kicked me up the backside. I think it had also woken him up a bit to the fact that he needed to listen to that part of him that wanted to lead a healthier lifestyle. So he dragged me along to qigong and tai chi classes and yoga classes and mindfulness meditation classes. He bought me my first nutrition book. Healing with Whole Foods um, by Paul Pitchford. And that was where it all started. And it it was just such an incredible journey. We've always walked lots together in the countryside, um, really long walks and walking holidays, we still do. And that grounding and earthing and reconnecting with myself and finding out who I was, what I wanted from this life, took me from this kind of very fun, very exciting trail of self-destruction <laughs> to a much calmer but wonderful process of actually exploring life in a very different way. And that's what led me to nutrition. So that's, that's my 1998.
0: Kirsten, what an incredible story. And there's so much to unpack there, but it is fascinating. So the thing that you keep always coming back to from what I was listening to is is this idea of bringing it back to your purpose and how those people around you were bringing you that grounding, as you mentioned, but also giving you that energy to think about what it is you might, what role you may want to play in the future and just bringing you that sort of change of wind, if you like, that you needed to put into your sails You were very honest there and thank you for sharing some of those very personal things in your life. But also they're very important seeds that need to be planted in order to then move forward into this nutrition expert that you have become. The question I have for you before we leave 1998 is what advice would you give the Kirsten of that time?
1: Oh, okay, Yes. To reach out more. I'm much better now at being honest about my feelings and talking to people about what's going on now than I was then. I didn't really have the skills to do that then. We don't really do that in our family. So I, I was quite closed in a lot of ways. So I didn't really have the skills to express or process a lot of what was going on. And that had been something that had caused hiccups in the past as well. So I would go back. To myself then and say, look, talk about this, process this. I was very good at writing things down, but actually having real conversations with other people, I didn't know where to start with that, about what was really going on deep inside. So I would um, really encourage myself to explore that a lot more and have the confidence to do that a lot more. Again, there's a lot more out there for young people now, and a lot more support for mental health than um, in the past. But it still, you know, it still takes the courage to access it.
0: It does. You're absolutely right. There is a, a level of bravery, isn't there, that 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 you need, because it's like by opening something that you may know a little bit of what's there, which is why you often avoid opening that chapter or jar, whatever you'd like to call it. But once you do that, it can't be closed again, can it? So it's, yeah. well, it's out now. <laughs> yeah. So what do I do now? And can I really cope with that? And, and what do I need to be able to cope, et cetera, et cetera? And I absolutely agree with you. There is much better advice.
1: And options as well. So I, I did have a, spell of, a stint of counseling, but it wasn't the right format for me. It wasn't the right person for me. And I just gave up on the whole thing rather than trying to find something else or someone else.
0: Definitely. And I the other thing I would say about that time, um, and I, you know, from my perspective, had friends and family that had, had everybody's stories different, but this, you know, sort of shock waves that are sent through, often with very late diagnosis. And the, the, the thing for me is that it, it's been public money and public experiences and passionate people like you. And, you know, I myself, you know, worked to raise Money, find resources to influence what was going on for the end users and to make sure that that offering was equitable for everybody and accessible, not because you had money or power or you know, connections. It was, it was available to, to everybody. And I know that it was a very different time then to what it is now. But let's get that time machine to 2021. And you and I are talking at the start of 2021. It's started in a fascinating way but tell us about how you're coping and what you're observing out there Kirsten.
1: yeah well i'm i'm using the same skills probably not as intensively as i i needed to back then but i still need them because it's you know it's a time that's really pulled the rug out of everybody's underneath everybody's feet there's a lot of polarization out there there's a lot of fear and uncertainty and in the middle of all of this I'm perimenopausal
0: <laughs> yes
1: so so just using the same skills to just notice as quickly as I can when I'm off center when I'm yeah when it when stress is getting the better of me when I'm I'm not where I want to be to just just bring myself back into focus again earth again and um, reconnect we you know it's after Christmas I, I really didn't feel ready to get back to work again so I took an extra week off and actually I'd kind of semi-planned that anyway because I normally find in January that I want to take an extra week off before I go back to work and it's it's a quieter time of year it's not a year to be really kind of pushing and getting frantic really quickly. So I eased myself into the year slowly. And this year, more than any year, that was just crucial for me. The, the beginning of January, I, I just wasn't ready to, to talk to people or face the world. And we spent an extra week just walking in on the South Downs. We had a week of really lovely weather and ice and sunshine. And then at the end of the week, I was like, yeah, I'm ready now totally ready it made such a difference so it's just using those skills making sure that I'm getting little moments of mindfulness in little moments of, of various practices whatever I need to do obviously my nutrition plays a huge role in that to get myself to a place where I feel that I'm I'm balanced enough I'm I'm in a good enough place to feel content to feel centered. Um, and to feel a bit of optimism as well you know I'm a, a naturally optimistic person but I'm also a natural realist and sometimes I can despair at the human race <laughs> yes.
0: I, I I could empathize with that yes
1: and sometimes my despair of the human race kind of covers up my optimism and I can't find it for a while <laughs> I know it's there but after you know that at the end of that that week, I was like, yeah, now I, I can feel that again. I can feel that optimism. And actually getting back to work and being, I've got so many amazing friends. I'm just so grateful for how many inspiring, truly lovely, shining examples of human beings I have in my life. And then once I get back to work, that's a reminder that because I'm speaking, I'm having one-to-one consultations with people on an almost daily basis. It's a, and and also I do a lot of teaching. So I come across a lot of people in my work, all of whom are completely lovely and wonderful and inspiring. So my work provides that optimism in the human race for me as well.
0: Kirsten, you mentioned the word off-center, which struck a note with me. Because, you know, if if we take it, you mentioned the menopause there, an example of that, it's something that doesn't just affect the person that's going through it and often people don't realize what's going on that they are off center for for whatever reason is going on so tell me a little bit more about you know what you mean by off center and and how that can impact people around them and what they can do about getting back on center yeah so I suppose I mean that I'm partly it's a,
1: a sense of not really being in in complete touch with what's going on for me at the moment So I think everything's going swimmingly. And again, Andy's a really good uh, mirror for this because I can can see by the way he's looking at me (laughs) some of the things that he says to me. I think, oh, I'm, I'm not as calm and productive as I think I am.
0: So he's reading these signs, and then you're reading those signs. And yeah, those signs. <laughs> exactly.
1: <laughs> so I need to check in and go, no, actually, I do feel a bit if Maybe I I am a bit more kind of highly strung than I think I am. Maybe I am overreacting a bit more. And it's not, I mean, it's sometimes I'm quite indignant that, no, actually, I'm perfectly justified in... In being this kind of irritated and angry about things and and I probably am so it's just kind of um just continually checking in and thinking okay are my responses to what's going on around me are they justified are they proportionate <laughs> and just using kind of like um cues not you know not just for my husband but my friends but um, from my own experience of who I am to just settle down back into myself and obviously I can probably be quite difficult to be around yep. like that and I do you know like many people I have this pattern that I've softened over the years but it used to be really pronounced when I was younger of just putting my everything into everything and just really going for it, and just and then collapsing for a while and not being able to move um for for a week or two or longer whereas now it might be that I'll catch it before the collapse and take a day off to just not do very much so I'm providing myself with that so it's just kind of it's noticing my own patterns and being more self-aware and then catching things before they get unbearable for me or people around me (laughs) <laughs> i think is that
0: for me who's loving your book by the way which which will make sure that our listeners get, get a link to so they can see what it is but i think for me your 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 work is ahead of the game in just getting you to notice well what are those factors that may be contributing to putting you off center etc and then i know that you putting in a lot of support for people that if you are off-centre and you've tried a few things and maybe you feel like you need additional help to to, to bring you back on centre or to deal with things that are maybe amplified or accelerated or whatever via this situation or maybe what's going on. You provide sort of workshops for menopause as an example. I know they've been very successful, haven't they? So I think your point about asking for help or joining a group or talking to people it is incredibly important, isn't it?
1: Yeah. And more people are talking about menopause now than ever before, which is wonderful. There's been a real sea change over the last year or two um, with menopause going from a taboo subject to something that women are finally and men are finally talking about more, which is great. And all the physical side of it. So not not just the I mean, for, for me, you know, I have both physical and Kind of emotional aspects of it that i i have to navigate and i talk about it as being a bit of a roller coaster a, a bit like when you go through puberty but now actually we've got a lot more life experience and self-awareness and a lot more tools so we can put those in place and obviously a lot of my tools are physical nutritional tools because there's a lot we can do There's a lot we can do nutritionally to help us ground and recenter. actually, just through the way that we're eating. So keeping blood sugar stable, really nourishing ourselves with food in specific ways, but also all of the physical stuff. So it may be leading up to menopause, things like erratic or heavier periods. It may be um, headaches, migraines. It may be um, skin problems, acne or other skin problems, joint problems. Um, There's so much that oestrogen is really protective of. So when oestrogen starts going haywire or drops, then these little niggles kind of come to the fore. And to take the edge off them, to reduce them, to to support your body going through that process, there's so much that we can do nutritionally. We can put in some of the support with nutrition that oestrogen used to give. So some of the anti-inflammatory support, some of the antioxidant support, for example. So there's a lot that we can do that that helps make that roller coaster less of a scary process and more more enjoyable. Maybe not enjoyable. Maybe
0: that's the wrong word. But more. I I do. I like that you're using enjoyable because I think this is this is what is happening. And often people forget to be present. And okay, it's it's different and it's bringing different challenges. But so does the loss of a loved one. close family friend or relative and so by hiding some of those things away that's when often other problems arise and it is it is difficult but facing up to those and saying well you know what are the things that I can do to if you say maybe make the bumps less bumpy yeah (laughs) um and go for it with people that I trust and, and I'm enjoying and creating that sort of safety of being able to talk about it not using it as an excuse but using it as a a way to learn more about myself
1: exactly and to, to figure out what your body's little flags are your little moments that the, the ways that your body's saying okay it's time to take stock now and just look after yourself a little bit more so for me sometimes and often I'll, I'll get kind of little skin flare ups almost eczema like and I've never been somebody who's been a you know an eczema like person I have never had an eczema diagnosis or struggled with eczema, but I'll get like little eczema-like patches as a little signal for my body to say, mm, what, what are you doing here? What what's what's not quite right? It's often it's too much sugar in my diet with that one actually. Or it might be um digestive issues. So I've got a history of in my twenties, the early 20s especially, I had horrendous digestive issues. And when they start to kind of come back again I know that I I need to quieten down and um tidy up my diet and tidy up my lifestyle a little bit more so these are my body's little flags going hey come on you know this is and to to help people get to know what their own flags are and what they can do when they come up and not see them as something um scary so much of. oh my goodness what's wrong with me But instead of, oh, that's interesting, my body's doing this. Okay, well, maybe if I can do this, then we can move in a different direction.
0: Definitely. And Kirsten, these signals, before we leave 2021, if somebody has these signals, what advice would you give them to face those signals and help them to move forward with them? What advice would you give people? Well
1: listening people often ask me about how to listen to what their body's saying um how can you hear the messages that your body's trying to give you and it's just practice really so i i encourage people a lot to for example when they're eating to focus on the process of chewing and enjoying and savoring every mouthful there's lots of reasons I talk about that um I talk about three mindful mouthfuls at the beginning of every meal because it switches on digestive processes because it's a little bite-sized mindfulness practice it has so many benefits but it also helps us to just be present for a few moments and engage with how our body's feeling and sometimes from there we can get a sense an example I can give is with food so for example if I used to sit here with a, a salad right now. I might start to eat it and then get a sense from my body that actually doesn't want a salad right now. It's quite cold and miserable outside and it wants a bowl of soup instead, which a lot of people can really identify with. And that's the kind of thing I'm talking about. It's as simple as that. And sometimes we don't hear anything from our bodies. We just, for whatever reason, and that's fine. And we just make judgment calls. Um, but sometimes we get very clear messages it's the same with alcohol for example so I, I don't drink a lot but I do like a glass of red wine every now and again and sometimes I'll put a glass of red wine to my lips and it will just be the most delicious thing and I'll really enjoy it sometimes I'll put a glass of red wine to my lips and every ounce of my body is going no I don't want it and if I kind of force myself beyond that and take a sip it gives me heartburn it makes me feel a bit ill I don't enjoy it I get a headache I I just know now it's not worth it so it's just really listening to that the more you do that the more you you recognize what your body's trying to say to you just practice
0: that that is resonating with me and for people that find that hard I often say to them you know just a really just keeping a really simple journal yeah, uh, and that can be anything. It can be written, off, you know, don't you don't have to go and spend lots of money. You've probably got something that you haven't used somewhere. Just start to write down some of these little signals and just give yourself a bit of headspace. Have a little walk and just have a think about it. And it is hard because sometimes that can be quite emotional because you realize that, you know, they're not just small things that you're hearing, <laughs> they're, they're huge things. Yeah. Right, actually this has been telling me something for a while. I've got to get and deal with this. Yes. But I think just that process unlocks something in people. Yeah. And even just talking out loud, saying it out loud to somebody else in a trusted space, definitely maybe just forces that to go forward. Because sometimes it may not happen in the first go you do that, but the more you do it, you sort of go, right, I've been hearing this again and again. It's time to go. Yeah. Time for you and me to go off to 2030 so make sure that scarf is on (laughs) tight but it's not that far away now it's only nine years away so here Mm -hmm. we go we're in 2030 Kirsten what do you foresee what are your hopes and dreams for 2030 for me or for the world whatever you like you are in control
1: okay so briefly for me I'd like to see my book have a few more editions out there and be updated. <laughs> lovely, I like it. And be a really lovely success. It's yeah. So it's it. It came out last year, which was um, obviously a year where I couldn't do book tours and proper launches. So it's had a really, but you know, appropriately perhaps, quite a gentle start to its life. So. I'd like to see that just be a a builder and builder that that, and by then maybe some more books um, and just to be really happy with where I am and still feel inspired and creative for me. For the planet in general, I would really like to see people communicating more with mutual respect, um, really listening to each other actively trying to find mutual ground and solutions. Um, There's just so much, I mentioned before, there's so much polarity at the moment, um, so much division and people just thinking they have to either be here at this extreme end. If you're not there, then you're here at this extreme end. And it's very difficult to explore this middle ground. I'm a middle ground kind of a person. I'm usually in the middle ground. I normally I usually like to listen to both sides and say well you know there's value in that and there's value in that but actually I'm, I'm somewhere around here and I it saddens me to see so much discord and and so many of the world's problems come about through lack of being able to communicate and respect each other because you're so busy trying to be in this gang or be in this corner or or just, I think for a lot of people, there is the world is so um, uncertain. There are so many uncertainties out there. If you're looking at bigger global politics and the environment, and you know, there's it, it can get pretty scary. So we like to, or, or whether it's in your own personal life and what's going on there. There can be so many uncertainties that we want to grab onto something and hold something that is certain and true. I think that's, that's a very admirable human, I don't think there's anything wrong with that until it puts us into these um, separated boxes that won't talk to each other properly. So I would like to see a lot of those boundaries melting away, And people finding that truth and that sense of safety and security in joining together rather than fighting each other.
0: And what you're describing, Kirsten, is in our gift. It's not something that is going to cost loads of money, is it? Respect. Mm -hmm. And for me, what you said there was inspirationally grounded. So thank you for that. Now, I'm going to be really brave and I'm going to give my precious time machine over to you. So where are we going and why? You can go anywhere you want.
1: This (laughs) is a real tough one, you know. There's so many places I would like to (laughs) visit for so many reasons, but I'm going to pick 2011 because this was another exciting and eventful year for me, but, but for many just just wonderful reasons. So um, 2011 was when I started running retreats with Haley North, who is uh, a wonderful friend and we have co-created many workshops and retreats and things together. We're setting up a podcast together because we can't run retreats together right now, not just because of the pandemic. We haven't for a few years because we've both been too busy with other things, but we really miss working together. She's such a joy to work with. So we're, we're setting up our podcast, but back in 2011, we were running retreats together that were just wonderful. So Haley is a, yoga and movement teacher and she is a holistic chef so she's the perfect person for me to work with i got to know her because she was running yoga classes down the road from where i was living in hove at the time got chatting to her after the class we outside we were headed in the same direction it turned out we were next door neighbors um, <laughs> so that began our friendship She's now running incredible retreats online. It's just, and she set up something called the Holistic Kitchen Academy with some other amazing chefs and they run, so she does holistic chef training. They do field to fork workshops. So with Jo and other amazing women, Kate and Rosie, they're just all really lovely chefs and people. And it's just such a joy, to be involved with them even in small ways every now and again so that was a huge thing um, for me to have the confidence to hold a space in a whole retreat especially like a five-day retreat where people would come in for I mean we'd really set a, a process up where we'd very gently ease them into a day where we would do maybe a juice fast or a water fast and on that day, we would be silent and do mindful, do a mindful walk, maybe get creative and playful on some of the other days, uh, especially coming out of it. And we would just, just gently ease people in for a couple of days, have one day there, ease people out again, just magical and amazing. That was also the year, 2011, that I got approached by Evolution Arts in Brighton, which is a amazing Brighton institution really (laughs) they've been there for like over 25 years offering yoga and qigong and dance and art and photography workshops and courses and they approached me in 2011 to run their nutrition workshops and courses I still do that now obviously all online at the moment such a wonderful um, organization to be a part of and I also that year got approached by Sussex Downs College, which is now East Sussex College, to teach nutrition modules to their complementary healthcare degree students. Um, and I still teach there now as well. I, lo- I love teaching there. We've developed and evolved the course. I've been very instrumental in evolving that, which has been really exciting. And also helped. And I, lo- I love teaching anyway. It's one of my favorite things, something I've always wanted to do. but it's helped me really crystallize my ideas and structure the book. So Nutrition Book to Life, the book is very much the result of many years of teaching and putting courses together of retreats that I've an inspiration that I've had from Haley and other people that I've worked with on retreats and workshops. And from working one to one with people for, you know, over 17 years now, and just hearing people's stories, following their process, witnessing how nutrition works for them. All of that is what's culminated in the book, Nutrition Brought to Life. So that year was really instrumental in, in helping to give me the structure and the confidence to get to where I am now with this. So there we go, 2011.
0: What, what, what an inspirational story and it's been an absolute joy to have you in the work-life time machine today. Thank you so much for sharing your passion and inspiration um, and also for your sense of community because for me what's shining through is with, with this grounding that you, you've found, you're helping all of us think about this sense of community and how important it is in our life. And you're doing this through particularly the book, Nutrition Brought to Life, which, again, is sharing what you've learnt on your journey. But then it's allowing us to use it in our journeys, too. So what an incredible story. Thank you so much.
1: Oh, it's been such a pleasure. I can't tell you, Jane. I've been this is an extraordinary podcast format and it's really made me think and reflect a lot um with a lot of gratitude a lot of gratitude so that's that's been wonderful and I think you've hit the nail on the head with community I think community is the most important thing
0: it absolutely is
1: thank you (laughs) thank you for today
0: thank you so much to listening to this episode of the people who know work life podcast there's so many more podcasts to listen to articles research and all sorts of experts to explore on the website but we will make sure all listeners get access to Kirsten's work because she's going to share three things that people can look at so they can start their own journey into understanding much more about nutrition and how that can help them create a better work life. Thank you.